This podcast is a Tucker Media production. For more information, head to tuckermedia.com.au. Welcome to How Gen Y Buy. Each week, we speak to everyday Australians to discover the unique ways in which they are entering the property market. Learn how Gen Y are beating the odds and getting their foot on the property ladder with your host, Nathan Smith, the Managing Director and Mortgage Broker at Birdie Wealth. Welcome to How Gen Y Buy. My name's Nathan Smith and I'm your host of the show. For those joining us, this is the very first episode and the premise of this show is that there is a lot of noise in the market that Gen Y can't buy a property, that baby boomers have made it too difficult, that it's harder to get funds at the moment. So the idea behind this show is to speak to everyday Australians on how they manage to get into the market. But the very first guest I've got for the show is Jason Goh. He first came to me in 2012 with discussions of buying his very first property, and it took him over three years to find that perfect property. Jason, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks, Nathan. Thanks for having me. First on the show. First on the show, but probably not the last on the show, hopefully. That's right. There's no real questions. I think today's just about having a chat and seeing uh, or giving some help to people who are trying to get into the market, what you did well, what you found difficult, and uh, we'll go from there. That sounds good. So some of the main things I remember with your particular scenario, the first one is, is that you actually started with a rental property as opposed to buying an owner-occupied property. Uh, funny enough, I think when I first started looking, I actually wanted to buy something that I could live in myself. So when I started having a look that way, I found that, um, you know, obviously my choices were a lot, a lot different in comparison to having a look at, you know, if I was to, you know, buy something on an investment basis. Is that yeah. from a price point? That's probably from a price point, but also from I'm buying a bit more on emotion. Yes. And the emotion being, you know, where, where are the windows facing? Is it got like a nice interior? Do I need to put a new kitchen in it? Do I need to repaint the walls? Because it's not just about buying the property. It's about buying all the other stuff that comes with it to make myself feel like I'm at home. Yeah. So it was a, it was a three-year journey from the, the time that we initially met to when you finally purchased and settled on your property. Uh, over that time, there are a few other challenges which I want to talk through in a bit more detail. Uh, one was uh, changes in career and changes in job. Yep. Uh, led to some periods on probation, and uh, we'll talk about the way lenders looked at that. Yep. Um, and we'll also talk about uh, why you decided to be a rent vester. I don't even think it was a term back then, but uh, the term rent vester now being the decision to invest where you think there's the best value and live where you actually want to live. Absolutely. So what drew you to property? Why did you decide to buy property? Um, I decided to buy property uh, for for one main reason, and the, the main reason is the, the great Australian dream is the fact that, um, you know, your parents own a property or even if you're not from Australia, your parents back home own a property. And how – and it should be possible wherever you go. So, you know, as, as a single single young male in Sydney, um, I thought it was possible – well, I wasn't too sure at the time and I had to probably seek some guidance, but I wanted to buy a property because, you know, my parents had property and they had investment property as well. Okay. So if they could do it, I think I could do it. So they were a positive influence on your decision to buy property. Did you see them buying property? I don't own much property so they've bought their own house that they currently live in yeah but they've bought previously investment properties and they've sold some in order to pay for the house that they currently live in (laughs) okay so you've made a decision that you want to buy a property where have you gone to source information about where the best place to buy is or how to go about buying property i think there's a lot lot a lot of conception around um you know, with the online world and, and actually doing your research in, in those particular areas, having conversations with, 
I guess, people who have done it before um, is really important. So obviously I go to a trusted advisor and a trusted advisor, knowing someone that's bought property, I speak to you know my parents and see where they've bought property yep. and why they've bought property in those areas and really understand, I guess, the drivers in terms of you know if you're buying it for residential or if you're going to be buying it for an investment. I guess one of the key things that I found in that specific initial journey um, was that you know my father opened up and said, well, you don't actually have to buy something that you want to live in. And I go, well, that sounds a bit strange because, you know, I want to move out of home. I'm going to go buy a property and, you know, I'm going to have to pay a mortgage to live in that property. So he was the one that introduced you to that idea of, of rent vesting and uh, buying an investment property rather than your first home to start with. He did. But at first I was quite skeptical Skeptical because for myself, I wanted to buy something that I wanted to live in yeah, and then, you know, be able to do it up because, you know, most people, um, as we see today, like to do up their own places. Of course. Of course. And so um, saving a deposit tends to be a difficult thing. What steps did you take to save a deposit? I was always really diligent um, with money. And I guess it comes down from the background that I grew up in. And a lot of the background was if you don't have the money, don't, you can't buy it. Um, the only time I was ever going to take out a loan in life was actually to buy a property. Um, so I've obviously bought motor vehicles before that and decided that you know I didn't want to get a loan against it because I'll end up be paying um, interest and finance on it and it, it essentially end up spending more than you know, what the product actually costs. In the scenario of buying a property, a little bit different. I don't think anyone has a spare five hundred, six hundred thousand dollars laying around, um, unless there's some stash under the mattress that I'm not aware of. Uh, but from my side of things, it was just a diligent side. So um, every month that my paycheck would come in, I would put it across a certain amount into an account that you can touch it, but you try not to touch it. And you only really touch that account if times are tough, you need to make ends meet. Yeah. Now, we spoke earlier before coming on air and you spoke about how you see other friends in your peer group or work colleagues uh, they have that issue with buying before they they have the actual cash to spend it. So the traps of things like credit cards and personal Absolutely. loans, and uh, I guess you've seen the effects on what that has in, in relation to them being able to do other things with their money. Absolutely. So to give some feedback around that, I had a credit card, you know, like obviously when I, when I started working. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I had a credit card was not for the reason that I could buy things on credit. The reason why I had a credit card was to allow me to make online purchases, which required a credit card. Um, it's a little bit different today compared to what it was in 2012 due to you know technology advances in finance. Um, but from my side of things, there was a lot around um, using that credit card to tie across different payments. So hypothetically, it could have been Christmas. I might have had to buy a whole bunch of Christmas presents, go away, and then I might have car registration that was due um, in January before I got paid uh, monthly. And so to tie that payment across, I'll just put it on the credit card. But once I got paid, I'd actually pay the credit card off straight away. Credit card, yeah. Without, so it was without, a budgeting tool, wasn't it? It was, it was a budgeting tool, and I used that just to, to clear a gap. And yeah. there was never an intention to... I guess, buy stuff on a credit card and leave things on a credit card where I'm paying interest. A lot of people fall into the trap and um, a lot of people will probably resonate with what I'm about to say. You go into a shop, you find something that's on special, um, you end up buying it because it's imp- it's an impulsive purchase because emotionally you're seeing it's on special and it's a good deal. And then you put it on your credit card. But then lo and behold, you're paying off your credit card and you're paying the interest on your credit card as well. So effectively, have you actually bought that product on special? I'd say the answer is probably no. The only time you can actually buy it on special is if you're fronting up the cash up front and yeah. paying it outright. So your journey to buy a property, we had three years you had a pre-approval for. 
you were looking a long time, but there was also changes in occupations. So I might start by giving a bit of an explanation behind that. So lenders don't always necessarily lend if somebody is on a probation period. Some lenders do, but particularly back in 2012, a lot of lenders were hesitant to lend at that time. So with changes to careers that put the purchase on hold, was that frustrating? Was it just part of the process? I guess there's two, there's, there's two things that you need to look at in life and you've got a professional aspect in terms of what you want to achieve um, professionally, but then you've also got a personal aspect of what you want to achieve. And I guess the goals that I set for myself back in 2012 were, you know, I still need to grow my career. I want to hit a certain level of income. Um, and I want to, you know, I picture myself before, you know, 30 years old to be on a six-figure um, base salary. And I was really hunting towards that. And that played an influence in terms of, I guess, changing different jobs to try and drive that income up. Um, but then on the other side of the goals that I want to hit were the personal side, which was around trying to buy that first property. I did speak to Nathan back in 2012. Um, and, it, and it wasn't one of those ones where I felt bad that I needed to, you know, sort of touch base with Nathan and, you know, put my services through Nathan. But it was along the lines of checking in with Nathan to see whether I'm on the right track and I'm doing the right things and, and what else could I buy given the market was obviously moving, uh, but my salary was also increasing as well. So does that change the portfolio of what I'm looking at? Does it change how much can I actually borrow to you know purchase a place? Um, do I want to live in the place? Like Has that changed or do I want to be a, what they now term, term, terminology uh, call it, a rent vester? <laughs> Yeah. So you've um, we've got the pre-approval. You're finally out to market, having a look, spending your Saturdays going to open houses. Uh, how was that process in going from house to house, dealing with real estate agents? What, what do you remember about that? It was punishing. Punishing. Yeah. <laughs> it was a pretty good description. Say goodbye to your Saturdays. So you know, if you if you go out for a Friday night, have a few beverages. Um, you need to be prepared to get up in the morning and go check out um, houses back to back in in certain areas or apartments back to back. From my side, you know, I, I involved the parents in in that decision because I didn't want to make a mistake in terms of buying something in the wrong area or buying something that's probably you know, going to require a lot of money that needs to be um, sent into it or thrown at it. I remember going to, you know, certain certain auctions in, in Broadway in Sydney where it was a, a, a double-story apartment, uh, two-bedroom, and it was going for about 380000 And And when I went to the auction, it really went up there because I sort of budgeted myself around the 350 360 mark. And when it went to 380, you know, my parents sat me in the shoulder and go, no, like, pull out. Like, it's, it's way too expensive. Looking back on where we are now in the Sydney prices, probably should have bought it. <laughs> That's right. So back then, property was 380,000. I mean, this isn't that long ago. We're talking five years ago. Absolutely. And, but people were telling you it was too expensive. People were telling, people were telling me you're paying too much. And I think the, the conception is, it's perceived value, and the perceived yep. value is around you know what somebody prepared to pay for something. Um, if I look at it back then, yes, you know probably should have bought it, but am I kicking myself over it? No, no. I think it, it comes down to a lot. Of, a lot of it comes down to timing, mm. and you need to be comfortable with you know obviously not just making the purchase of the property, um, but be be able to actually substantiate the stamp duty and all the other costs that associate with that property. Um, but it comes down a lot to cash flow as well. So if you have a lot of outgoings um, outside of the income that you have coming in, that obviously makes it challenging when it comes down to having a look for a property. And so, you know, a lot of my conversation with Nathan was around, it wasn't around, you know, 
how much can I borrow? It was around cash flow. Mm. Like, I don't want to be living off Mego rings for the next, you know, two, three years. Of course. You, you ended up purchasing a property in Marrickville. That's correct. When you were buying that property, was the intention prior to finding it that that was going to be an investment property for you or were you still considering that to be a property to live in? It came down to, um, I guess, a, a blended combination. I call it the hybrid, where the intention was initially to rent it out, but there's also a view that if you ever wanted to live in it, Yep. It was suitable enough to live in. Okay. So you had passed your kind of own personal living test that this is a place I could move out and live in. Um, it's got all the facilities. It was close to the amenities and transport. And obviously, Marrickville was a uh, up-and-coming area and it's done really well since then. As far as the process at that time, so as you were looking for property and then you entered back into um, dealing with myself as a broker and dealing with solicitors and conveyances, was there anything – confusing about that process was it was it difficult to know who to ask what to the confusing thing was that you don't know and don't know what you don't know you don't know what you don't know and it's scary because you know you're spending you know north of you know six seven hundred thousand dollars yeah and you're throwing a deposit which you've been saving for god knows how long yeah um at the wall and you're hoping you're going to make the right decision and you're hoping you're not going to get stung along the way or you're going to be you know buying stuff that's not required because there's a lot of um i guess financial advice out there and you know people to tell you you need to take this you need to take that but it comes down to i guess asking a few different people and then generating an informed decision and coming up with your own view. I think the other bit of advice to give to people, whenever you're getting advice from a website or from or from anyone, what what's their purpose behind giving you that advice? So is are they selling you something? So are you looking on a website that's saying investment properties in Marrickville are the best spot to buy and you're buying from somebody who sells investment properties in Marrickville? Uh, so the question there really is what's the intent behind the information you're given? So uh, there's so many conflicting bits of information online, so that's just something to be conscious of when you're looking. Now, you've decided to buy this property in Marrickville. You've begun to put offers on the property. Do you remember that point when you got the phone call back from the real estate agent? Yeah, because I knew it was going to be expensive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I remember that because, you know, you, you put your offer forward, um, and, and it goes backwards and forwards, and it, it's the process of negotiation. And, and I guess a lot of my experience in terms of the, the line of work that I do revolves around negotiation, so it's nothing that's unknown to myself. But I think the best check that you need to actually do is to actually assess, I guess, the properties in the area and to make sure that you're not overpaying for it. How did you do that? I did that by doing my own informed research by looking at domain, looking at realestate.com and having a look. I guess the hardest thing with the property that I bought was that I'm actually buying it off the plan. And so we're kind of forecasting to say that, you know, the price that I'm going to pay is what it's going to be worth when it comes off the plan. So what what did it look like? Had it started the project or was it near completion? The project was probably halfway through. I probably bought it out 12 months before the settlement date. And so... A lot of my father's experience, because he's an engineer by trade, was to actually check out the property. He could see the the process of the, the build quality yeah. and really assess it because you don't want to go buy something and then next thing you know, it's got defects in the actual building, then you're dropping a lot of cash into yes. the strata. Right? So there was there was an additional risk really to buying off the plan because Absolutely. you're staring at a piece of sky where the building's about to be. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but the but the location obviously you could have a look at and the amenities in the area. What about Marrickville itself? So why Marrickville? That's a really good question. Um, if you look at the city planning of Sydney, and you have a have an understanding, and, and everybody knows where Newtown is, and everybody has seen King Street. 
have a look at the rental and the demand for rental within that specific area and it's super high. Where else can replicate, I guess, something like that within Sydney? Uh, understanding the town planning, if you have a look at Marrickville Road, it's basically identical to the way that King Street's laid out. It's going through a process of change. So a lot of the older shops and, and industrial areas are now um, sort of shifting out. Yep. And what you're finding is there's a lot more bars, restaurants, cafes that are opening up. Yeah. So it's going to turn into the next new town. And from my side of things, that was important because people like to be around areas where there's a lot of social, social entertainment. But outside of that, you know, the key things that you need to look at are accessibility to um, transport. Yes. So Marrickville obviously has its buses that, you know, sort of run down uh, Marrickville Road, Victoria Street. Uh, but it also is between um, the place that I purchased is between Sydenham Station, which is a major um, train station, and also Marrickville Station as well. So, you know, not just that, the apartment block itself, I took into consideration which ways the actual windows face because you don't want to go buy something that's, you know, completely in the dark. So. Yeah. I wanted ones that actually face north-facing, yes. especially in the entertainment area, because yep. that way it actually provides light throughout the whole day um, yeah. into the building. And I guess from my side of things as well, the, the building itself didn't have swimming pools, it didn't have gymnasiums, it didn't have like these fancy gardens. And I didn't want that because that's extra expenses that's going to have to come out of your pocket if you decide to live in there. But even if you are renting it out, you're still going to have to come up with those finances to pay that per quarter. <laughs> yeah, so your strata bill's higher. Absolutely. So obviously the more facilities a block has, that has to be split between the residents who live there. Um, so you're conscious of finding something that had um, the basic and simple amenities as opposed to all the bells and whistles um, that were going to add a higher price tag of your ongoing holding costs. Absolutely. Yeah. I okay. mean, there's, there's certain risks around that as well, right? So if you're going to live in it and, and you want those facilities, great, um, but be, pre be prepared to pay for them. But, you know, there's always the what-if risk scenario that, um, you know, there is a defect in the building in terms of, you know, potential concrete cancer or cracks in the concrete or, you know, building leaks and there you go, you're adding more money on top. Of course. Then yeah. it goes back to the question around cash flow. <laughs> you know, are you, is the income that you have coming in after all your expenses able yep. to cover something like that? Yeah. So have you, since buying that property, built yourself a buffer in place to cover any unexpected costs? Absolutely. So the, the key thing after I bought that property was to throw as much cash at the wall on that property itself okay. to try and actually dig down um, into the loan. Yeah. So from my side of things... Um, it was a. It was, it was pretty tough. Well, I wouldn't say it was pretty tough, but you, you have to be really strict about it. You have to be diligent about it. You need to set the goal there, but work towards your goal and don't defer from the goal. Mm. So it takes a lot of discipline. Um, you know, if people have done, you know, transformations on their own self by you know going to fitness things, it's very similar in in that sense because. It's all about discipline to actually get the result. And so over the course of, you know, the next 18 months after buying that property, it was about turning it from a, a property which was negatively geared into something that was positively geared. Okay. Which so is, you, you intentionally decided to pay down the loan and turn the property into a positively geared property? I did. And the reason why I did that was having, having finance and having, I guess, a mortgage isn't a bad thing, especially if you're buying property. If you're buying something like a car, it's completely different. But buying property is, is what you call an asset, and an asset is something that grows in value. And to give you an idea, within 15 months, the 
the apartment next door sold for 16% more. And that gave me a lot of confidence in terms of the area, gave me a lot of confidence in terms of um, the building and the property and the demand that's actually going to the area. The reason why I wanted to pay more of it off was actually to probably buy another property. So uh, I guess the two key takeaways I've got from us speaking is as that Redvestor model, you really need to be disciplined and make sure you have your processes in place so that you've got enough to cover it and that you've uh, accounted for any unexpected turns or, or yep. unexpected processes. And the other thing too, I mean, you've, you've done all this on your own. You've done this without a partner. Yep. Um, you've done it as a, a single guy. It can be done, right? It can be done. Yeah. Uh, contrary to you know what everybody else tells you out there, it, it can be done. Anything, anything can be done if you put your mind to it. And it's about, and, and the key thing I believe is probably the discipline part. And it's not about, you know, if I wanted to move in there now, I mean, I'm in a great position because I've thrown down a lot of money against the loan that if I wanted to kick the tenants out, I can go move in there. It's not going to cost me much to actually go live in there. It's probably cheaper for me to do that than actually rent something else in Sydney at this point in time. What people don't realize, and, and I had this conversation um, probably two, three weeks ago where I had the friends that wanted to buy into the Sydney market. They said it was ridiculously expensive for what they want to buy. But a lot of people have the mindset in terms of buying something that they want to live in. So if you have that mindset, that's that's also okay because you can still save the deposit. You just need to be prepared for the fact that, you know, your, your outgoings need to be obviously less than your income that's coming in. The way that I've done it was the fact that I wanted people to actually pay my mortgage for me um, that while I'm actually putting money towards it. So that involved disciplines such as living at home with your parents. And that's, there's, there's no other way cheaper to actually do it than that. You can still rent somewhere else if you want. But a lot of my goal was around turning my property into being positively geared within the next you know 18 months after buying it. So the way that I look at it now is that if I wanted to move into it, I can. But I've also got an option now to live where I actually want to live. So if Marrickville is not for me right now because my social um, life or my life is telling me that I want to go live near the beach in Bondi, that money that I was going to use to put towards my mortgage in Marrickville, my current tenants are actually doing that. Yeah, I can actually use that money to go live near the beach yep. if I want to live near the beach. And yep. that's completely fine because, you know, if you're calling it – Let's call it $600 a week that you're paying um, towards a place. If I put $600 towards a week to a place in Bondi, like, that will get me a place in Bondi. It'll probably get me a one-bedroom, but if I want to go live with a flatmate or have a mate to move in, that's completely fine. Or I can choose to go live in Marrickville for the same price if yep. I wanted to. The benefits of, I guess, renting and living where you want you actually want to live is the fact that you also get the tax, I guess, the better tax benefits every financial year as well. So you've got to be in it not for the short game, but you've got to look at it as a long-term piece of investment. So whether you're buying it to live in or whether you're buying it as an investment, it's not something that you want to flip within the next you know, 12 to 24 months after purchasing it. If you do live in it, that's great. But what you'll find is that life circumstances will change and you probably need to change from that property. And that's completely okay. So what I'm trying to say here is that you know there are a lot of options. I guess the key theme for myself is the discipline in spending. Try not to use your credit card. Only use your credit card for um, tie, as a tool to tie across payments. If you if you are on you know monthly pay or if you are you know sort of running your own business and and cash flow can be cert- certainly tight at times and you know you've got um, income coming in at a certain point, but be diligent about putting money aside every single month and 
not touching it, even though you know it can be tempting from time to time, especially when you see things that you want to buy out there. Thanks very much for coming in. I've got one final question for you. You bought your first property. What's next? Uh, what's next? Well, at the moment, I've got to find another job, funny enough, yeah. um, which seems to be a con- consistent theme whenever time I speak to Nathan. But it's it's about obviously landing into that next job and then I guess going back on the house hunt again to actually find brand me as a rent, rent vester 2.0 because Fantastic. I'll be looking for another property. Excellent. Well, congratulations on uh, all your efforts so far with the property and thanks very much for coming in to speak to us today. And my name's Nathan Smith and this has been How Gen Y Buy. We'll see you in a fortnight's time for the next episode. This podcast is for general information only. It contains brief comments not intended to be the basis for decision making nor to be taken as a substitute for specific advice. Please contact Birdie Wealth to discuss any matters that may be relevant to your individual situation. For more information, go to www.birdiewealth.com.au.